This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank National Association, member FDIC. Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stuff I Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio. And welcome back to our, it's not, I don't think it's a mini-series anymore. It's a full-on series, isn't it, at this point? Yeah, I feel like a mini-series, we're at least... We're approaching the edge. We're approaching the edge <laughs> of what a mini series is. Right. Because, you know, if we just wanted to go straight through all of these, which is heavy indeed, I think, um, yeah, it would be a season, essentially. Yeah. If we had yeah. those, which we don't believe in those. <laughs> Apparently, oh, that is, we show. don't believe in them. We're just kind of <laughs> we're doing what we can with the time we have and our mental that's health. Right. That's right. That's right. Okay, we'll say it like that. And yes, we are back with a series for Christianity and religious trauma in the Western Christian world. I guess that's how I'm going to put it. I keep changing the names. I need to get it together on this. You do, and. You know, this is a, a, a peek behind the curtain, but I generally write the um, description title. So any errors in there are mine. Uh, <laughs> but I'm not helping with all the confusion. <laughs> but I am often like, okay, wait, what are we calling it now? <laughs> <laughs> That's how I do. You were trying to say that I came up with good names the other day. I was like, girl, no, I could come up with good concepts. You have to write the names because I can never actually title anything. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's one of We're those things. We're a good team. <laughs> We're a great team. This is how we yes. how, this is how we figure it out. But yes, uh, so far we've talked about women in Western Protestant churches, misogyny within the religious community, purity culture, and sex abuse within Southern Baptist churches. And today we're talking about, yes, even more trauma, especially related to marriage um, and domestic violence in, in the next episode, divorce, but yes. Um, and then we are more specifically talking about the role of a wife and mother and motherhood. So... Yay! Content warning, we are talking about domestic violence, abuse, religious trauma, and uh, childhood trauma as well, because some of this was a little too close to home. Once again. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Once again. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, And by the way, I have ruined my Google algorithm, and I can't find anything that isn't a Christian blog 
trying to tell me that I would be a better human if I had babies, raised them in a church, and supported my husband. Overall, it is a generalization, but y'all, those are the articles I'm getting, and they're all blogs or church-related, affiliated columns telling me these are the steps of being a good woman. I can't get it off my screen, and it's really upsetting. (laughs) I'm really getting annoyed yeah. by this. <laughs> That's fair. <But> yeah. <laughs> However, uh, it is offering a lot of columns, uh, again, that start with how to be a godly woman. Godly comes up quite often. Man, I have been so far away from this world seeing this. It makes my heart skip a beat, not in a good way. Right. Mm-hmm. And yes, uh, if I mention marriage, it immediately steps into how to be a good mother. Like that's the next thing on the list. And usually being married means your next step is to be a mother. So why are you hesitating? Obviously. Um, <laughs> and yeah, so growing up in this very religious lifestyle as a girl, I had always heard that women, for women, our greatest gifts were to be a wife, to be a mother, and to have a family. Um, my own adoptive family is made up of the traditional working dad and a stay-at-home mom. I mean, she had dinner ready, made sure that the home was perfect. I grew up watching my mother pick lint off the carpet every time she went by me in the living room, and I thought that was normal. Like, who oh. does? And then realizing, <laughs> oh, my mother is extra special. <laughs> And extra attentive when it comes to this. I, my, you and I have talked about how, in comparison to our mothers, how we feel so sloppy. My yeah. mother has it together, even to this day. She has a little bit of clutter in her storage attic, and she apologizes for that as if it's a mess. Like people are mm-hmm. going to go sit up there and hang out. Like that's right. like it's my a mother. shameful thing. Right? Yes, I'm like I wouldn't mm-hmm. have known had you not told me. What is happening? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And yes, my mother was also very subservient to my father. She wouldn't take his crap and he would never abuse her in such a way. But like, obviously, she would follow his lead. Even having a serious conversation recently, she would say, you just need to talk to your father. Um, Mm -hmm. Of course, that also has uh, in part that he and I can actually have a conversation as where she gets heated up and we both start crying. So (laughs) that might be the other reason. Um, Mm -hmm. But yes, she had dinner ready. Uh, She raised four kids, including myself, and then she raised many more foster children. So I've had lots of people in her home and she has been called mom by several, several, several people who are not her biological children, myself included. And yeah, she made it look doable. Don't get me wrong. I definitely saw her on the edge a couple of times where she would just absolutely lose it. And we'd be like, okay, mama's mama's going out. Mama's going to (laughs) have it out with us. So we need to go hide because it's it's that time. And it's rare. And it was fair that she did because she was like, she's very patient. But she Mm. was ready to blow and things may go flying across the kitchen. Like, (laughs) we knew things were happening. We needed to run. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Or it was also the tradition that she would finally get fed up with my father and say, you This is where I learned that term. And my mother never curses. But yeah, she would literally be like, you And then just walk off. One of my favorite phrases. Still. I still love to use it, by the way. Um, (laughs) good one (laughs) it is and then but watching her going through all this watching her relationship with her my father i actually told them (laughs) 
This was not what I wanted. I said that out loud. I remember getting on to my father a few times because my mother would have dinner ready. We never sat at a table. We sat in the living room, watched TV. We had like probably a dinner tray. We were those people. My dad had a (laughs) random long board that he used as a dinner tray that went across the chair. It was hilarious. Uh Don't ask. Um, but he would use that and, and would sit in his big chair, comfy chair, and eat. But he was always the first person to get a plate that my mother would bring to him. And he would, if he finished dinner before my mother finished and he wanted seconds, she would immediately stop eating, get up, take his plate, get his second uh, course, and come back and then start finishing her first plate, in which I would get so upset, I would yell at my father, you need to get up yourself and let her eat. I was very upset. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was very upset. <laughs> but this is the type of home that we lived in. My mother loved it. My mother really felt like this was her calling. She will tell you this. This is her calling to be our mother and to be her, be his wife. Um, and yeah, this was not my goal. I did not want this. Uh, I went to college away from home. I was the first person to actually leave the home to go to college. Uh, I did focus on service, though. And yeah, I've talked about my experience as a missionary, which I regret. And there's a lot of things that we need to unpack with like colonization and missionary work and and that kind of deceptiveness. Um, But that's a whole different episode. That I don't think we're going to talk about this time around in the series, but who knows? Who knows? Um, (laughs) But yeah, and of course, in that, the focus of the church is to bring more Christians into the world, whether through conversion or through birth. And yeah, it's a gathering of a kingdom. It sounds like a cult. Yeah. And they would never call themselves a cult. Mm -hmm. But that's what the the intention is. Right. To convert all of the world to their beliefs. So and their way of life. Just saying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And again, but for my young college days, uh, I did study a lot, and I also worked in ministry. I did the entire thing. Um, I was working every weekend around the Southeast, teaching teenage kids biblical stories and ideals. I sang with them. I ran a women's ministry at church, at my local church. I went to church faithfully went to uh, Bible study. I led Bible study in our uh, churches. So yeah, I was very, very, very big into this. But as expected in college life, (laughs) well, okay, (laughs) I have to backtrack. Not expected, I guess. (laughs) I, I definitely fell into the idea as the Christian college girl, my goal not only was to serve, I was to find a partner, mm-hmm. a husband. Um, everything mm-hmm. that the Bible told me about this situation is that I need to find my leader, the head of the household, and practice uh, the techniques of finding the perfect mate or male, as we say here. And boy, was it exhausting. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Boy, was it exhausting. Uh, mm-hmm. Along the lines of purity culture, there was uh, the whole idea of courtship. Oh, God. I'm so embarrassed talking about this. I'm so embarrassed, <laughs> Annie. It's okay, Samantha. This is a safe space. <laughs> I'm so embarrassed. 
But yes, I want to do it. Of course, uh, this isn't necessarily a thing with all churches. I think a lot of people who are uh, churchgoers and went to church in, in, in college who go to church, like, not religiously, but will come every Sunday or every other Sunday or, or that, they don't do this and it would probably give us a side eye for the mm. ones who did this. But it was something I fell for. It's this weirdly romantic but misogynistic ideal of meeting that godly man. Somehow it was romantic. I think it's that same notion of like turning the bad boy and you're like, this is not a good situation. Except for Jesus plus, I guess. (laughs) Plus Jesus, right? right? (laughs) (laughs) And books like Passion and Purity, I Kiss Dating Goodbye, The Five Languages of Love have fueled a whole generation of young people into dating Jesus's way, or not dating in Jesus's way, actually. Um, (laughs) Again, I was one of those people. I read all of those books. Actually, I did not read The Languages of Love because it came a little later. Uh huh. But I did. But that is the one where we talk about like our love language, right? Yeah. Joke about it. Yeah, we talk about it, and there's some merit to it. But Mm -hmm. man, the level that people, the level of confidence that people have put in that book. Yeah. It is comical. I will say that. It is comical. (laughs) Um, Yeah. uh, You know, and in all of this, which is why I said I had to backtrack a little bit, I've joked that I lost a lot of my college experiences with all the fear that my beliefs piled onto me. Caroline, former host of the show, she and I had vastly different college experiences, even though we went around the same time to the same colleges. Like, we never interacted Mm -hmm. (laughs) because we were so different. Right. <laughs> in our social habits. And I, I feel sad that I kind of missed out on it. I do feel like I've been stunted because of it. And I'm not alone. I'm not alone. Uh, just watching my peers go through a whole process. Like some going as far in this courtship. Again, my face is turning red. <laughs> and having to ask a permission from the parent of the person that you want to go out with before even going out. Like, this is not getting married. We're not asking a permit. Like, this is like, hey, I think I actually want to go on a date with them. (laughs) (laughs) But it's not actually a date because oftentimes it would be a group hang or something. And so, but yet they would still go and ask the parents, I I have intentions with your daughter. (laughs) Oh, intentions. And that's, it sounds so ridiculous, but yes, that, that's the level it would get to. Um, <laughs> it, imagine it being a mix of wholesome K-drama, which now you understand a little more of, with the staunch 1800s idea of propriety, uh, where at this point, though, the parents are just as confused as the rest of the world. Like, what is, what are y'all doing? Are you getting married? No, 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 no. We're thinking about being boyfriend and girlfriend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the level's like, wait, what? What yeah. is happening? Um, and yeah, there was, it was a novel idea that if we strip down all progress and freedom in love, then we can undo all the sin. So we were backtracking, essentially, mm-hmm. in culture, in dating culture. Mm-hmm. <sighs> oh, I, should have, I should have a therapy session just on this. Uh, <laughs> You should write a book. (laughs) I should write a book. I don't want to. Yeah. And if you follow the rules and know 
the rules of uh, books like Passion and Purity, where Elizabeth Elliot teaches how to catch a husband. Now, no. don't get me wrong. Her thing is of a memoir about the fact that she met her perfect husband and how that went down, and they went missionaries out in the world, and then he dies. It's it's not nice, but you know. And then she gets married, I think, a couple of more times after the fact. Uh, but it's the story about how he courted her and and the expectations. Here's a quote from a Christian blog as they describe the book. Quote, she strongly cautions against new trends like women initiating relationships, citing how masculinity is rooted in God's character as initiators. This is from the book. He woos us, calls us, wins us, give us his, capital H, name, shares with us his destiny, capital H, takes responsibility for us, loves us with a love stronger than death. She writes of the masculine responsibility to, quote, care for, protect, provide for, and cherish. For women, she encourages qualities like affirmation, tenderness, maternalism, and mystery, a sort of modesty and reserve. So uh, in this blog, she is praising, and this is new. This is a newer blog. So I'm telling you, it revamps every few years, this book. (laughs) Her estate has to have a lot of money. Um, Uh But she's trying to encourage this old practice once again with this novel idea that this manly man with gentle spirit will come and woo you. (laughs) I'm not Uh anti-romance, but I do still think we need to lower our expectations where we are setting us up as well as our partners up for failure. But you know, (laughs) whatever. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, well, for books like I Kissed Dating Goodbye, uh, the call for Christians to give up dating altogether was revolutionary. Um, Tales of Consequences of Sin and Eternal Loneliness for Those Who Took Dating Lightly was the forefront of many of the messages in these books. The ignoring of human impulse, desire, and pushing for everyone, especially women, to fight against it as if it would be the end of the world to succumb to such awful temptations. But it also made sure to add an extra large side of homophobia, as Harris wrote in the book of him finding the fact that he may have been checked out by three gay men, really specific, uh, a, quote, disgusting moment. Um, He specifically writes out that it made him respond with, quote, anger and disgust, and that it was, quote, wrong, so filthy. Right, so we're talking about Joshua Harris, the author of I Kiss Dating Goodbye, and then Boy Meets Girl, a book about courtship. <laughs> yes, uh, but since then, he has had a change of heart. In fact, he's halted all reprints of the book in 2018. In an Instagram post, he apologized and wrote, I have lived in repentance for the past several years, repenting of my self-righteousness, my fear-based approach to life, the teaching of my books, my views of women in the church, and my approach to parenting, to name a few. But I specifically want to add to this list now, to the LGBTQ plus community, I want to say that I am sorry for the views that I taught in my books and as a pastor regarding sexuality. I regret standing against marriage equality for not affirming your place in the church and for any ways that my writing and speaking contributed to a culture of exclusion and bigotry. So that's something. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, much like many other millennials have also taken many steps away from their faith, Harris has done the same, uh, but the results of the books like his uh, still remain. And since we've already talked at length about the toxicity of purity culture, we'll bypass the redundancy of how purity culture ruined everything, including dating. Um, but let's talk about the Christianity and religious trauma and how that has affected marriage, motherhood, and domestic violence. Right. I'm not going to regale you with all the awful courtship conversations that happen uh. in college life. <laughs> that's, that's a whole, like, outtake episode that, that doesn't need to happen. <laughs> This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank National Association, member FDIC. The state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at a historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laughing as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. So yeah, the perfect wife and mother, uh, that seems to be the ultimate goal. For years, my mother would let me know, especially during the holidays, that she feared that I would be like many of the women who would never settle down and never have children of their own, and that I would die alone with no children to care for me, in which I responded, I would probably never have children, give it up. Uh, <laughs> I did, mm -hmm. I told her that many a times. Um, she would also give me examples of aunts spinster aunts who did not oh, have children yep. and how unhappy they were. And I was like, I don't think that's true. I think you want to paint it that way. Right. I don't think that's true, but okay. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, but she wasn't a fan of my take here. For a woman whose identity is wrapped up in her husband and children, this seemed like I was a person with no purpose. Again, I would like to reiterate that there's nothing wrong in loving your partner, loving your children, loving your life, and caring for your family, and giving thanks to a higher power for these things. 
But to do any of these things out of fear or FOMO, fear of missing out, yeah, cool. <laughs> then yes, maybe we should re-examine the reasons. Uh, children will not fix our mistakes. They won't fill the hole often left by past traumas, will not be the love you've been trying to get from an absent parent. And in my perspective, again, yes, in my perspective, it is wrong to place that type of responsibility onto a child. Just going to put that out there. Sorry, not sorry. (laughs) Uh, But yes, I digress. Young women in the church are taught to be ready to serve and support family, especially your husband. As in fact, many articles and Christian advice columns, many of them will even give you an exact list of things to do. Um, And here's a list of them uh, from an article titled 12 Wonderful Responsibilities God Has Given to Women. So, number one, to love, believe, and respect the Lord, to support the gospel work of the church, to be diligent in her vocations, so at least she could have a job, (laughs) to be a wife, to be a mother, to care for her household, to be a helper to her husband, to love and respect her husband, to submit to her husband, to be respectable, to learn quietly in church, and teach what is good. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Interesting. All right. <laughs> and uh, with that, with that list, we are going to look at ideas closely related to numbers four through nine. Um, so yes, women are told that we must submit to the authority of men as they are the head of the household and have been given the ultimate duty of steering the family on the most godly path. The term servant leader is often used to describe the leadership of men in the household. As one Christian article writes, quote, a woman who submits to the servant leadership of a mature Christian man should be letting herself in for a life where her husband devotes himself to providing for her needs, protecting her and Yes, directing her at times. A servant leader will not insist on his way in areas where it is not possible to know objectively what God wants. He will call for his wife to follow Christ along with himself, but will graciously allow her to refuse his suggestion often. And I will say emphasis mine uh, that I put in there. (laughs) Um, but yeah, just that kind of idea of oh, graciously. <laughs> very, very, very gracious indeed. Um, Christian women should uh, understand the level of authority that men have in the household, again, under the theory of being a servant leader. So it's kind of, yeah, their godly duty to be like, I will do what you do. All right? Cool. Right. <laughs> and what is the thought on postmodern ideals, those initiatives that women are taking these days. Um, Here's what the same article had to say. Our postmodern aversion to authority is incompatible with Christianity, not only because it flies in the face of biblical teaching, but because it is based on our fear of corrupt and self-serving authority figures. Yes, yes, yes. Interesting. Cannot be about self. So (laughs) in that article, they go on to explain that men and women should rely on each other when it comes to making decisions in the household. Uh, They say, quote, the wife's submission to the husband within Christian marriage is grounded in both spouses' willingness to defer to each other in love as well as to other Christian friends in their church. We are all to submit to Christ's moral leadership whenever it is expressed through others. 
But if you if there happens to be a standoff in this protocol, here's the advice. In the rare cases in which husband and wife cannot agree on an important decision, the husband who has proven himself as a servant leader will usually be able to make a mature decision. So again, he is the overall authority, obviously. <laughs> usually can make a mature <laughs> decision. All right. And of course, as the household grows, a woman must learn to be a wonderful mother. We are not experts. Um, and in fact, not one host on this show has been a mother as of recording of this show, <laughs> as when they were recording. So it's possible. There's, there's been a lot of hosts of this show. Uh, it's possible that one of the hosts might have a child now. Um, and only two out of the six are currently married. So yeah, we we are not experts when it comes to marriage or, or motherhood on this show. It isn't hard to see, though, that as the list we read earlier implied, being a mother is a goal with Christian marriages. Um, and again, choosing to be a mother is amazing uh, and one's own choice. Uh, so yeah, please don't think we're saying that there's anything bad about that. Right. There's always been pressure to be a perfect mother. I think that's in just a generalization for all women who are mothers. Being a mother often brings judgment from others and adds on the pressure of being responsible for another living being. Terrifying. But in the Christian world, the perfect mother is something that impacts the Christian population. Article upon article all agree that women and mothers are responsible for teaching their child the pathway of Christianity. And because all I'm getting is Christian advice column, here's another list, uh, this time giving us some characteristics of a godly mother. Are you ready? A godly mother cultivates a joyful spirit, keeps a pure heart, builds up her house, is a disciple maker, cheerfully serves her family, trains her children the way they should go, practices patience and kindness, and lives with Christ-like selflessness. Yes, which we have talked about before. And I will say, as we record this, Mother's Day is coming up. <laughs> and I was trying to buy my Mother's Day card, and a lot of the cards have this kind of rhetoric. Yep, yep. <laughs> I forgot it was happening. Y'all, we are so timely. I completely didn't even think about this. We are yes. so good, Annie. Oh, <laughs> always on purpose. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. Um, and from the same article, quote, when a godly mother's work is done humbly and for the Lord, God will be made real in the lives of her children. The ungodly world that is drawn by passing phases and outward beauty will never see or understand the immortal beauty of the influence of a godly mother. When mothers partner with God, their children will be fit not only for life in an ungodly world, but also for a future in heaven. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is exhausting. <laughs> list yeah. alone. I'm having flashbacks on really just putting on that facade, which we've talked about a lot of being the kind, dainty, gentle, soft, perfect woman to show off and be like, yes, look at me. I am a viable woman to be your partner. I will give you babies, which I wouldn't. Um, <laughs> and I will support you. Like this whole level. Oh, God. It's making me sweat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, especially that whole idea, which we've talked about before, of like being so selfless that the the man in this situation is just automatically before you. And that's a good thing. Yeah. Eesh. 
But uh, there are a lot of women, and many of whom are Christian, who push that perfect mother narrative to the side. Um, who do? They realize how impractical and unrealistic that is. And most Christians might even say it is man-made. Uh, <laughs> and many have spoken out against the idea. In another Christian article, one woman writes, I used to be a perfect parent. I had strong opinions about the best way to raise a happy, healthy, well-mannered child. I vowed that my children would appear well-groomed and clean at all times. They would be disciplined by my firm, fair, and consistent parenting techniques, and they would always, always be well-behaved in restaurants. And when they were older, I would instill a sense of self-confidence and mutual respect by showing them that I valued their opinions and by treating them as equals. My ideas were so straightforward and simple that I couldn't understand why other parents couldn't be as perfect as I was. Then I had children. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One of my most earliest memories, and I just want to say at the top here, like this was not a super traumatic memory for me. So I don't want to fight about it. But I did say, <laughs> I did say, damn it, in a church when I was four years old. Ooh. And my parents, that is the only time I've been spanked. Wow. They were like, oh no, girl. <laughs> yeah, it took me until adulthood after college for me to say, damn. It was a huge deal. I could, did not say God until I was out of college as well, because that was just as bad as saying a curse mm. word. Yeah, no, definitely. I I had friends like that. And, you know, like, I would love to one day future episode talk about what is going on with our, uh, I know it confuses you, but with like our bleeping rules. Like, <laughs> but the the fact is, like, w uh, what I just said is going to be bleeped. Part of with it is. For part, yes. Yeah. Whereas, damn, it wouldn't be. Yeah. So... It, it's like infiltrated. <laughs> oh. Oh. <laughs> All right. Um, moving on. In her article, writer Debbie Farmer talks of her struggle in compromising with her children just to have peace, whether it's by giving in and allowing them to watch cartoons on the phone while she's grocery shopping or letting them have an unhealthy snack every once in a while and wondering what the people around her think and whether they are judging her for not being the perfect mother. But she ends the article with this. Now, when I see a mother whose child is happily meandering behind her, eating a Twinkie and wearing wrinkled dinosaur pajamas and a pair of swim fins, I no longer think she's an unfit parent. I know she's just doing the best she can. Yep, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> I mean, there's definitely a whole conversation about trying and disciplining children and, and all of that. But yeah, in the end, you're just trying to survive, I think. And that's commendable. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and yeah, and then add to all of these expectations, the different types of parenting, uh, whether it's the crunchy moms, the gentle parenting, which is huge on TikTok right now. There are a lot of opinions and debates solely on these ideas. So what happens when you add Christianity to the mix of it all? I grew up in a fairly strict home. Spanking was common. Uh, belts were used uh, in similar tactics. I did have marks all over me at times. And all with the idea that the quote, this hurts me more than it hurts you, which is an outright lie. It's a mm -hmm. lie. Children, if yep. you listen to this, that's a lie. Uh, <laughs> please note, uh, these were different times. And I'm not excusing anything, but the environment and cultural 
uh, experience does play into this disciplinary styles. If you think about the boomer level, I know there's a whole conversation on TikTok about how it's different when you uh, raised under different generations. Um, mm-hmm. My generations did have this. I think it was getting less and less, but this happened. And many children in my community experienced similar childhood discipline. Like we all probably had a moments of like having marks on us or something traumatic happen. I'm even old enough to remember children being paddled by teachers in the school. So right. that was a whole thing as well. Um, and a lot of this came from the Christian adage, spare the rod, spoil the child. And unfortunately, if you really want to talk about it, this was taken out of context and was made literal because this was supposed to be about like shepherds leading with the rod, which they don't beat their sheep with a rod, but you know, whatever, whatever. That's a whole right. different conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, one form of this very idea that includes this is Christian fundamentalism. Writer Rebecca Drumsta talks about this on her site and her own experiences. She explains, quote, parenting inside a Christian fundamentalist system usually comes with a formula of some sort based on what they have been told is biblical parenting by fundamentalist pastor organization, or ministry leader, and are in support of breaking your child's will as soon as possible. But that's masked as obedience, submission, and conforming to what is expected by the authority. Yes, and she goes on explaining, spanking is traditionally the preferred method of discipline. Obedience to parents is preeminent. Children have no voice or autonomy. Often, even after they are of legal age or married, they must still defer to the parent. Sex is rarely discussed, generally no education given on the subject, and the very word, spelled out but not spoken, is seen as taboo, except in the occasional gender-exclusive settings, such as a women's-only session at a marriage conference. And fundamentalism often includes the following elements. Authoritarian control, no outside influences, and obedience to your parents and church without question. Fear, motivating based on fear, God is always watching. Shame, feeling shame for falling short, lack of emotional education, uh, can't trust your own emotions or being told to always control your emotions. Um, like think of young boys being told they can't cry. Um, no mental health support, just pray about it. Parental perfection, never show your flaws, you need to fake it. And abuse. Drumsta writes, parents inside of fundamentalism are conditioned to believe you must protect the name of God the church, and those in leadership. This carries into not reporting to the authorities or properly handling abuse situations with their own children or members of their community, but instead dealing with things internally by shipping the person to a new church, sending them to an approved biblical counseling program, or simply having a stern talk with the accused. It also enables abusers to continue harming their wives, children, congregants, and yes, even their husbands and grandchildren. This mindset has damaged countless individuals and caused compound trauma as victims are shamed, not believed, and even further victimized by those who are in positions of leadership or authority. Spiritual abuse is rampant in fundamentalist circles, as is sexual, physical, and psychological abuse. Yeah, and I think that's another conversation we could have that I'm not going to get too deep into, because like I said, people who have grown up in fairly strict church background homes understand what this is. Um, You have examples of it. We talked previously about the abuses within churches, such as sexual abuse that is often ignored or just talked over and hidden. 
So we're not going to get too deep on that. But let's talk about what happens when things like domestic abuse happens. Um, And according to one report in thebaptistnews.com, the church has been a hunting ground for domestic abusers. In the article, Janice Gerritsen Morrison, I hope that's right, writes, quote, domestic abusers have admitted that the church is the best place to find a gullible, timid, complacent wife. Abusers know all they have to do is fake an interest in spirituality, say the right things, and get involved at church. Young women are taught to value strong male leadership and to watch for men who are committed to God. Then, due to the encouragement of short engagements, these girls are married long before they realize it was all a ruse. Only to be told it's too late and marriage is forever. Now, in her article, again, it's from BaptistNews.com. She often phrases the idea that abusers infiltrate more so than the fact that they're already part of that community or that they're raised within the churches and within those communities. So I think that's something to be said. It's, it's like as if they're talking about uh, lurking monsters seeking to pounce on victims. And so that oftentimes, instead of addressing the actual issues and rectifying the situation, we see deflections kind of like this and right. outright denial. But again, right. she's not wrong. Abusers have an amazing sense finding victims. We know this. Um, mm-hmm. But they may have already been there. Right. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands. Not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank. Brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly boring since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC. The state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at a historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laughing as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. And as we were researching this, uh, we found a lot of articles about churches and their leadership uh, telling victims to not talk about their abuse and oftentimes told to go back to their abusive situations. In an article found on the Criminal Justice Research Net, they write, quote, 
A holy hush pervades many religious settings when it comes to the topic of domestic violence. Even finding the right words to describe what has happened in a violent outburst between a husband and a wife can be contentious. Given the sociopolitical landscape regarding the issue of abuse in the family context, perhaps it is not too surprising that naming the issue becomes a political act. By and large, clergy and other religious leaders prefer the term family violence, downplaying the gender power imbalance. Moreover, many religious leaders are reluctant to condemn wife abuse from the pulpit and confuse reconciliation between a victimized woman and her abusive partner as evidence of recovery, believing that since the violence has stopped, often only temporarily, the home is now a safe place for each family member. Right. And actually, there was a Charleston newspaper uh, called The Post and Courier, which received a Pulitzer for their three-part series on domestic violence in South Carolina. And they pinpointed the Christian culture as one of the roots of domestic violence there. Here's a quote from that article. Part of the problem is rooted in the culture of South Carolina, where men have long dominated the halls of power, setting an agenda that clings to tradition and conservative Christian tenets about the subservient role of women. This has bred a tolerance of domestic violence that has passed through so many generations behind so many closed doors that today, I think it was like 2018, South Carolina ranks number one nationwide in the rate of men killing women. And in that same article, they write about the church's response when it comes to domestic violence. Quote, they also talked with clergy to challenge age-old beliefs that domestic unrest was best resolved in the home, an approach that many times made the situation worse, the ministers told us. Quote, it's really a family issue. They need to work it out. And that's a quote from Crenshaw, a local worker in a domestic violence center. In this article, quote continues, but in some cases, that's like telling a victim to go running back into a burning house. What pastors communicate to their flocks also can fuel the problem. If inadvertently, scripture says women are to be submissive. Suffering is part of life as Jesus suffered for your sins on the path to salvation. Divorce is a sin. And uh, it goes on, the Reverend Mark Bagwell of Golden Corner, a contemporary Baptist church in Oconee's small town of Wahala, concedes that religious vows and teachings have likely kept a good number of women from leaving their abusers. Churches have played a major role in making women feel that, quote, God would be disappointed in them if they left their husband, he says. Yeah, and that article... It really was very, very interesting. So if you have time to go look it up, you should. There have been a lot of counterpoints from uh, church affiliates, and they were not happy. Just <laughs> That's actually how I found it. Once again, because all my algorithm is giving me <laughs> the church's point of view. Uh-huh. But I sneakily found it. Uh, anyway. Good for you, Samantha. <laughs> the sleuth. <laughs> there's so many more stories similar to this, whether it was women who need to obey their husbands so they aren't hit or that it is a family matter. And yeah, I've witnessed this so many times um, just growing up in churches like this, even family telling their children to go back to their husband, uh, their own daughter. Um, and after he, the abuser actually admitted to having hit them and because they were apologetic, Right. They were like, okay, yeah, you should go back. Um, And in in this blog, Confusion to Clarity, one counselor asked survivors, quote, what was the worst advice you were given when trying to get help to deal with your abusive marriage? And y'all, yeah, this is not cute. So, sorry. Here are some of the responses. God did warn you about him before you married him. Just don't pay attention. Then there's show him more respect. Watch your tone when you speak to him. If you speak more respectfully to him, he'll respond in a positive way. 
And here's another quote from a woman. She said, I contacted the police due to him being physically violent towards me. And my pastor's response was, Christians do not call the police on one another. I suggest you apologize to your wrongdoing towards your husband. And there's more. Uh, My pastor told me he didn't think what I was telling him was true and said women in menopause sometimes have breaks from what's real and what's not. Uh, I will not sit here and listen to you shame your husband. Uh, Another woman said, I was told that saying my spouse was abusive and unfaithful was sin. Um, You need to take him back because he is sorry. You need to return to him and be a submissive wife and you might save him. Um, My pastor said, if I had a wife like you, I'd hit you myself. They said I needed to stay and hope and pray that I couldn't, quote, give up because God wanted me to be faithful and patient and persevering. Yeah. And and again, article upon article upon article, they had these phrases. And again, I have seen that being said. I have heard women and victims saying it to themselves, uh, not having any support, being told that this is their fault. I made them angry, but they put God on it. You know, they put Mm -hmm. Jesus on it on this one. Again, the message often comes back to women submit to your husband and the evils of divorce, which we'll talk about in the next episode because, yeah, this was very long. (laughs) In an article written for The Conversation, uh, they actually talk about a study completed in England, and it says, In a survey of churchgoers in Cumbria, England, one in four respondents had experienced at least one of the nominated abusive behaviors, such as being kicked, punched, threatened with a weapon, isolated, or sexually coerced in their current relationships. And more than 40% of the respondents had experienced at least one in a current or previous relationship. The research noted if evangelical churches were reluctant to participate in the survey, perhaps indicating, and this is their quote, the reluctance of these churches to address domestic violence in their own communities. Mm-hmm. And the response though there are many who are trying to better their churches, is often lacking. Um, As shown in the examples above, victim blaming, a lot of shaming. Women are told to help their husbands to overcome their sins or that they are doing something to make men sin. Some do offer counseling, but oftentimes are lenient to men who, quote, pent for their sins and advise wives to go back to their husbands and family. And when it comes to emotional abuse, it's even worse. Um, More often than not, the idea of emotional abuse is dismissed completely as a non-existent problem and with no physical evidence, leaving a woman trapped. As blogger Amy Wildman White writes, unless pastors and counselors can recognize the often subtle and always complex dynamics of emotional abuse, women will continue to be victimized first by their husbands and then by the church or the community. An abusive man who is not held accountable is indirectly supported and given license to continue his destructive patterns, and those around him become enablers. Women are not treated with dignity and respect as God intended, and so God is not honored. Right. Yeah, and churches all over the world are are getting called out for their neglectful behavior and lack of advocacy for women in those churches. Um, Many churches are trying to step up to assist, often with the idea that such bad behavior does not exist in their own churches. So it's an outward thing. Think of missionaries, uh, just those poor people that they are supposed to save. And uh, if they were to admit that there is an issue in the church, that crushes the idea that their church is a godly ordained group of people. They can't admit that. 
and going a step further, admitting that marriage has failed, which this is the phrase, what God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. That's in Mm -hmm. Mark. And is a moral failing and a sin many can't forgive. This is the biggest sin. I I saw it growing up. Divorce was even worse than someone being hit or raped. And but that's again the topic for the next episode. It's not pretty. It's never pretty. (laughs) But yeah, there's a lot happening in this conversation. There's a lot of call outs, but a little solution, it seems. Yeah. And I mean as as this mini series slash series is proving, there's just so much to unpack here with when you have such a tight morality from such a young age of like, well, this is what makes me good. Right. And I could literally go to hell. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot to unpack. And we're continuing to do so. <laughs> Slowly but surely. It's Slowly but surely. It's going. It is. It is. And we've really appreciated hearing from you listeners uh, about this one and, and your thoughts about this. So keep that keep that up. You can email us at stuff at iheartmedia.com. You can find us on Twitter at MomStuffPodcast or on Instagram and TikTok at Stuff One Never Told You. We're also on YouTube. We have a book that you can pre-order at stuffyoushouldreadbooks.com. Thanks, as always, to our super producer, Christina, our executive producer, Maya, and our contributor, Joey. Y'all are the best. You are. And thanks to you for listening. Stuff I Never Told You is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can check out the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly boring since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group Incorporated. PNC Bank National Association, member FDIC. The state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at a historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laughing as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. A rested child is a happy child. Sleep Tight Stories is a weekly podcast that brings comfort and joy to families worldwide with calming bedtime stories. The stories are relevant to children and spark wonder without overstimulation, so they can fall asleep and stay asleep. Listen to Sleep Tight Stories on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. For a bedtime routine you'll miss when they're grown, Sleep Tight Stories.